everyone. Welcome to a very special episode of Leadership, the podcast where we talk about the social responsibility of business. And boy, do we have a big topic to unpack today with my co-host and DEI expert, Adriel Parker. We are going to dig into the state of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, whatever you want to throw into your acronym at your organization. (laughs) I know it's a little different for everybody, but there's been a lot of DEI news and it has mostly not been positive. Right. And so we kind of just wanted to do a little bit of the state of the union about DEI and talk Mm -hmm. about what's happening, where is it going, what's happening within organizations, um, and just, you know, like let Adrielle be like lead a little bit and and tell us a little bit about where she thinks it's going but let's just start with uh saying hi hey adriel hi thanks for (laughs) joining thanks for joining us thanks for doing this yeah being on the hot seat a little bit i know i know this is a first but i'm excited um yeah the the dei industry it feels weird calling it an industry but it it is an industry um has been a bit of a mess recently um and has certainly received a lot more attention than previous years or time frames so where do we begin i'm i'm ready to to chat about it all caleb let's do it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i hear that yes um God, I feel like in a normal podcast, we would start with kind of news of the week. So maybe we just do a quick news roundup of what has been out there. What what is what have been the biggest stories affecting this industry? Because, you know, the things off the top of my head, we've got a major Supreme Court decision. Mm -hmm. We've got like um, right wing politicians like restricting, um, you know, education around this. We've got all kinds of things. What do you in your mind? Let's just say the last six months, even the last year, like what has been the the biggest news stories around this? So over the past six months, there's been a lot, but I think there are a few things that come to mind that I just want to highlight. Obviously, the decision to do away with affirmative action, um, which, you know, a lot of people were like, well, this is only relevant to colleges and uh, higher ed, so we shouldn't worry. Yeah, we should worry, right? And I think Uh, we've talked about this a bit on on previous episodes. Um, You know, one of the main things that comes to mind for me is the fact that it is still a requirement to have uh, a higher education for certain professions. And if we're not careful and being mindful of who has access to those degrees and that education, then that is going to trickle over into our professional spaces. It might not happen overnight, but eventually that is one of the problems. And we already see a shortage of um, professionals, particularly black professionals, professionals of color, women in leadership across various industries. So it is a problem. And if we are not careful, it could get worse. Um, The other thing is that there was I don't know if you heard about this, but there was I think it was a Republican AGs who were sending letters to tech companies and being like, you better watch yourselves. (laughs) Um, And, you know, a lot of tech companies and, and ones that I've worked with, too, have leverage setting some sort of goals towards their diversity. Um, And so some will say, especially those working in law, that it, there's a lot of gray area when it comes to setting a goal versus setting a quota. Um, right. And so the these AGs have pretty much sent this letter to threaten them to say, you need to stop 
doing what you're doing because you're not safe. Yes, this the affirmative action decision was relevant to higher ed, but soon what we're going after are corporations. So yeah, basically saying we're going to drag you in front of the Supreme Court next. Exactly. Exactly. And so I certainly have seen a lot of leaders at organizations kind of hesitate and slow down. They're like, wait a minute, do should we we need to go reevaluate this. Let's get our get our lawyers in here. Let's have conversations. So um, that has been something that has stood out to me. Another big thing that's happened over the past six months, which isn't uncommon and is far from surprising, at least to me, because we see it all the time, is the turnover from chief diversity officers or CDOs. Um, it happens. We've, we have a lot of research. I think I can't remember the, the number off the top of my head, but the tenure of a chief diversity officer is very short. I want to say it's around like a two year time frame. Yeah. Um, and so it is not this is not something that's uncommon. This is something that's happened for years since I've worked in the space. Um, and it happens for a variety of reasons. I mean, you know, working in silos, the bureaucracy that often comes within working in a corporation. Um, the constant pushback, the delays, uh, you know, and folks are constantly looking at the chief diversity officers well, like, well, why didn't you come in and wave a magic wand and make these things happen and, without realizing <laughs> that it has to be a collective effort. Um, a yeah. lot of times- We've talked about this like yeah. a lot, but about like roles like that being mm-hmm. put in very like transformational leadership positions, but yes. not actually resourced at all against how to do that transformation, yes. not giving staff, not giving budget. Exactly. Like it's just like you said, like you said, expecting magical thinking. Mm-hmm. And often, uh, CDO roles and a lot of diversity roles are often put under the umbrella of of HR or recruiting, mm-hmm. and that is a fault as well because DEI encompasses so much more. As we were talking about briefly before we started recording today, it talks about it, it covers so much more than just recruiting, hiring, and sourcing talent. So. Yeah, so many things, all the things. Um, I'm sure I missed <laughs> all the things. <laughs> a lot I know. of things that have happened over the past six months. But oh, it's fine. I, I asked you to summarize the news cycle for an entire year, you know? and you, you did a great <laughs> job. Um, one thing that you didn't talk about that I remember you posting pretty passionately about mm-hmm. recently was um, the role of where DEI is supposed to play in the org versus the role of where ESG is supposed to play in the org. And oh, I yes. know that because ESG has the S and the G, obviously, and social impact and like diversity and hiring and some of the some of the DI related work streams in mm-hmm. theory fall under those. Mm-hmm. Some orgs are starting to put their DEI initiatives underneath that. But you seem to passionately think that should not be the case. And I want you to give that case to us right now. <laughs> um, I think that DEI should remain a part of ESG. But I don't think that it should solely, DEI should be lumped into ESG, if that makes sense. So I think as people go about approaching things relevant to uh, ESG, they should always do so with a DEI lens in mind. Um, But what I've seen happen is when people say, all right, just add our DEI efforts to our ESG plans. DEI just starts to trickle off and it becomes ah. this little, little bitty thing that people forget shrinks about. Shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. Exactly. Yeah. Or it just goes back to, all right, what are our recruiting and hiring teams doing to diversify our workplaces? And the equity and the inclusion piece are often forgotten or just get lost in there. Um, and it's just, it's easier 
for people to measure things related to the environment or social responsibility in the broader sense or governance um, than it is to actually face issues relevant to people and inequity head on. And so I think that is a reason why people often will lump them together. Um, There are other reasons too, obviously, especially from right-wing folks, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not even just right-wing folks. Like I was talking to someone yesterday about this. Mm -hmm. Like it's just really easy to lump the alphabet soup of corporate social responsibility together because like these different initiatives that have very different capability like different um what's the word i'm looking for different competencies Mm -hmm. in theory like corporate philanthropy diversity equity inclusion um reporting back about esg like there's just so many different competencies underneath those acronyms that make for strange bedfellows when you start to like use them in the same breath yes um but that's what we end up doing because it's vaguely related to social responsibility for the org. And so everyone wants to brag about, look at all the things we're doing across all the different work streams. Exactly. But to your point, the only way they work on an integrated fashion is if you resource against what those like individual pillars actually need. Yes. Right? Like in terms of resources, in terms of staff, in terms of planning. So you can't just lump them all together often under like one person's job description which is wild to me yes and then expect it all to like go great because again these are just they're different kinds of competencies a different kind of work absolutely absolutely yeah so (laughs) let's talk about like where where are people doing this well still so like we talked about it's under attack from the supreme court level all the way down people are starting to pull back Mm -hmm. but in your mind you don't have to tell us specific clients you work with or, mm-hmm. you know, name call either on a good or bad sense. But just like, what are the elements where you've seen an org really do this well? Yeah. Um, first thing I'll say is, to me, orgs that are doing it well are the ones that are still pushing forth despite all of the noise that's occurring right now and all of the anti-DEI sentiment. Whether mm. or not they're doing it right is one thing, but if you are continuing along some sort of trajectory, you're continuing to invest, provide resources towards DEI, first step complete. <laughs> so you had the vision to ignore the noise at the very least, even it, if you're, yes. you haven't perfected it. Exactly, exactly. You recognize that without your people and without them being in a good place, your business is probably going to suffer. So or not exist, right? Um, And so prioritizing humans is so, so important as we move forward. Um, What's also working really well is folks that, it's when people start to go past the awareness stage. So I think one of the one of the reasons I've seen why so many people are like DEI efforts don't work, DEI trainings don't work is because historically a lot of it has just had us walking in circles, bringing awareness. We're going to have a guest speaker. We're going to bring pride cupcakes in. We're going to highlight <laughs> Women's Awareness Month by getting buying these T-shirts and this swag. Cool, 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 cool. Great. You need awareness. You absolutely do. You need to educate people and they need to know why this matters. But then they need to do something with it, right? So then what, and, and so what, right, is what you're looking to answer. So what are some steps that I can then take to, you know, try to, try to correct some of this inequity? Um, 
And so, so it's more than just we did one training. Yeah. Why didn't that work? Exactly. Yeah. Or we we brought a black speaker in for Black History Month. We're oh my gosh, we're so diverse. And we posted a black square. We did both those things. Oh Why didn't it work? Oh, I you know, I'm so happy that we didn't see a bunch of black squares and rainbow squares this year. <laughs> yeah, I saw some, you but talking about that. It, yeah, it wasn't terrible. I was like, thank goodness. Um <laughs> <laughs> so you know that's bad when you're like please don't like it's just you know it's like not going well when yeah. you're um specifically asking people not to show their support <laughs> yeah like that is like the performative starter kit oh is the, the squares performative starter kit i love that that's an episode title we're right? gonna call this performative, performative starter, starter kit in like, DEI. right you have the black square the theme square so they could be black rainbow whatever the theme is then you've got like one random training, not workshop, but training that probably talks about right. unconscious bias and people can't do anything. Throw a lot it. of information at someone. Exactly. Yeah. You have a couple guest speakers. There's your starter kit. Um, yeah. But but our point about like research where like chief diversity officers or whoever's leading this, mm -hmm. sometimes that's all they have budget for, right? Like we're lucky if they do that. Yes. Right. And no. Yes. and No. Um, you could hire, have a speaker come in for, I don't know, five to 10K, or you could leverage that amount and support an ERG and partner with ERG on some internal initiatives. Or you could uh, outsource, you know, a, uh, a training session for your recruiters to educate them on how to expand their networks to source and hire more diverse talent. You could... Ah. Bring someone I in for the same examples. amount of money and educate teams on how to work and foster psychological safety. There's a lot more that you can do that is going to be more impactful than some of that low-hanging fruit, as many oh, of us like to call it. I love it. those examples. I hope, I hope people are taking notes at home of like really impactful <laughs> ways to spend that budget other than bringing in one speaker. Although yeah. your speaker budget... 10k i'm like oh god I'd, I'd love to see an org give a dei person 10k to bring in a speaker i was thinking more yeah. like 2000 if they're lucky do you know what i mean like, yeah i mean there... well i oh, mean god. people like i i know she doesn't really i don't think she really claims to be like dei specifically but like people like Brene brown you would definitely be coming out of pocket for some oh like sure that. yeah or, if you're bringing in Brene brown yeah or yeah. like uh uh lily zang is another popular uh dei mm -hmm. person who has a book um, so yeah, yeah, like people like that, I think for sure. Um, yeah, if you bring them into like a big corporate event, yeah, but, like for like one training, mm -hmm. I don't know. I've seen. I feel like these budgets are tight. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, they are. Anyway, they definitely are. What, um, what else are people doing well? What else? Uh, so we talked about the awareness piece. Um, oh yes. So another thing that we've historically seen in the DEI space is trying to spend a lot of time on behavioral individual behavioral change um, mm. some people are arguing that we should just stop doing that now and focus more so on processes and systems changes but i argue that there's a world in which we do both <laughs> i don't think we i don't think it's this or the other thing um, i think there is a need to bring that awareness provide people with some examples of what best practices look like and then asking them to start to work on those individual behavioral changes simultaneously as they do that i see it happen all the time people start to open their eyes to processes that are that are going on within the, the organization that are inequitable so 
you know, a manager is like, oh my goodness, this promotion process, I never even realized that, you know, there was favoritism leaning towards this group or this group. Um, And that's also where your data starts to come into play, right? Where you can look at specific demographic groups and see how different systems and processes are affecting them. Um, And so it's not so much about we're trying to set a quota, but we need to actually look at the current situation and data can really be power. Quantitative data can be really powerful. Qualitative as well, right? Asking people about their experiences is just as important as seeing the numbers. Um, But yes, taking into consideration inequity in systems is is the right move. And that's funny (laughs) you said that because I was about to say it's almost like you're trying to tell me that inequity can be structural. Oh, yes. Oh, my (laughs) Shocker. Shocker. Structural. I just I I think we've talked about systems thinking a few times on this podcast, Mm -hmm. but I just want to reiterate that that it's basically what you're saying is like, it's not enough to either think about just structure and process that although that is super important it's not enough to think just about individual behavior change like we have to be thinking on multiple fronts Mm -hmm. right like the the whole systems theory is all about like we are individual systems that work in other systems called teams that work in other systems called a whole organization that works (laughs) in other systems called society so like a a fully fleshed out inclusion strategy has to look along all those fronts right right and not just recruiting. I'm probably going to say that like 50 more times <laughs> as we're <laughs> recording this because people are so stuck on hiring, hiring, hiring. And you can do all the right things with your hiring process. You can make it as fair and equitable and inclusive as, impo- as possible. But if people get to your workplace, whether virtual, hybrid, in person, and there hasn't been any attention placed on equity and inclusion within that space, useless. Your turnover rates yeah. are still going to be, you know, out the ass. So you spend all your money on marketing and your product is shit. There you go. There you go. Um, and so that is another one of those. Here's where people are getting it right. They're starting to pay more attention um, beyond just the, the recruiting and hiring processes, but also starting to think about, OK, now that people are here. How do they navigate this? I know I mentioned yeah. promotions, but um, things that are as simple as assigning tasks and projects, like avoiding favoritism as it relates to that. Um, who's leading meetings? Uh, how are we including people in meetings? How are we including people in decision making? How do we address conflict internally sure. and externally? Because it gets tricky once you start having to deal with clients. Um, I had one client um, uh, and their client was calling them little lady. And Jesus, it's like, okay, seriously? I need my manager to help me navigate this because I can't risk losing this client relationship and I've never dealt with this. So what are our standards yeah. around approaching something like this? And this was in the year 1970. This <laughs> like, was like three I could not ago. believe someone was doing <laughs> this was that three months ago. <laughs> in t- 2023. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think so? This is I think it's related to a comment you made earlier, but this mm-hmm. brings up for me. Do you think DEI should live in HR or should Mm -mm. be outside of HR? Tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah, HR has historically, uh, I I know, I'm sorry, HR people, I love you guys. People, (laughs) love you folks. I'm always, you know, Midwest, always saying you guys, but I love you all um, for the most part. Um, oh, look at you being inclusive with your language. <laughs> oh, you, I always, do you see her? She's modeling. You have to She's practice modeling. it, right? I always correct myself uh, because that I can't practice. I can't preach something and then not actually do it. Um, yeah. I don't think 
DEI should be part of HR because they are different skill sets. Um, historically, as a lot of people believe, HR has existed to protect an organization. There's some truth behind that. I know people get mad when you say it yeah. and we're here to protect the people. Yes, you are, but you're also there to protect the, the company. And I see it time and time again, um, even now. And so there are specific skills that are required. You're really learning about specific laws and labor practices and things like that. And that is a different set of skills from DE&I. I think there's certainly some overlap, um, but I'm not, I'm not an HR expert. There's so much that I, I have yet to learn about HR. Sure. I've considered exploring, um, you know, HR certifications, but I don't know if, if I really need that oh, interesting. <laughs> to do what I do. So. Yeah, yeah, but different skill sets. I do think it's true that the historical reputation of HR has been to protect the organization. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that sense, trying to create psychological safety by putting DEI in HR, you're right, could be the wrong move. And there's been plenty of organizations that I've worked with that do mm -hmm. DEI separate from HR for that reason. I also do want to give a shout out to, we've, we have worked with some super forward thinking HR leaders that are trying to reposition and rebrand HR to not be that. So I do think that the industry itself is being self-reflected mm -hmm. or being self-reflective on that, you know, and like trying to not just be protective of the organization, trying to move its reputation beyond that. Yeah. But it's tough. It's, it's in transition. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and I think there's an argument to be made. You and I have talked about this a lot that like diversity, equity, and inclusion shouldn't just be about how you hire anyway, mm -hmm. or like even about your current staff and talent. You know, can right. you say more about that? Like, have you seen orgs like that are a little bit more expansive and how they're thinking about what DEI should be involved in? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think the more people start to think about DEI throughout all of their business units and verticals, the better, right? Um, and so going beyond just recruiting and hiring, but, you know, if we're thinking about sales and uh, people even get into supplier diversity, um, mm -hmm. we can be thinking about our clients and customers. How are we tapping into uh, different demographics or areas uh, and reaching a diverse mix of people? Do we want to do that? Is that our right. goal, right? For some, the answer is no. And I mean, I think it's better to be honest about that than to be like, we love diversity when you really don't. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I and this is one of the issues I have with CDO roles not sitting in with executives because there is so much. Typically, if you're hiring a CDO, they have some knowledge and experience that they're bringing to the table. And so to have them involved in executive decisions can go a long way because they're going to bring that expertise in and call out anything that sounds or looks inequitable to them, which most people, if you don't have this experience, wouldn't have even called out. And that could be as it relates to sales, marketing, uh, partnerships, et cetera. So really important yeah. to keep that in mind too. One of the most interesting projects we ever worked on was a uh, client that was thinking about the application of um, DEI principles into their product development process mm -hmm. and really critiquing oh, yeah. the design process with how so it, for those of you who are not really caught up on design thinking which has been you know a buzzword for the past probably like what 20 years like a long time yeah there's this whole part of it that's supposed to be about empathizing with the end user and basically the critique of that is how am i a white cishet man supposed to like empathize with literally anyone who does not fit into those categories right like right. and then design products for them right so 
this company was trying to think about like it was a very tech-based company you know it released a lot of tech products and, and really trying to be thoughtful about like how they integrated the voices of the people that they were trying to design for in the design process mm-hmm. it wasn't perfect you know there's a lot of different models out there trying to critique it it's a big conversation but I think it's not a big enough conversation because design thinking is still very prevalent. The way we develop products is still very exclusive of the end user. So we need a lot of lot of really creative thinkers thinking about that kind of thing. Like, what are we? How are we impacting the markets in which we are operating in in Mm -hmm. terms of how we target people or not target people? You know, like one of the big things I always like when people are like inclusion is one of our values. One of the first things I say is like, where does that not apply? Like, have you ever thought about where, like, in terms of how you target? Like, when mm-hmm. you say we're going for soccer mom, white soccer moms in the suburbs, are you still being inclusive? Do you know? Like, we don't, yeah. we haven't really thought about all the applications of those values in the most forward thinking companies, of which I think they're, you know, a handful that I can think of, not mm-hmm. enough, mm-hmm. are really trying to think about those principles and their application throughout a lot more of the org. Yeah, definitely. I smiled when you mentioned product because I recently did a video talking about DEI and product. And, you know, one of the the things that I keep trying to encourage my clients and anyone who I come in contact with, especially like on LinkedIn, because that's probably where I interact the most with other folks in the DEI space, is the fact that we need representation right? Your product team, if it lacks representation, you're going to certainly miss things. Um, I, about, I don't know, two months ago, (laughs) was testing out a popular design tool, and they had a text to AI option. (laughs) And I was working on some random project, and I needed a image of a black woman with Bantu knots. If you're not familiar, Bantu knots are, some people like to call them mini, mini buns. Um, although to me, that's not the best description, but visually that's probably a good description. There are a bunch of little mini buns you put on your hair, very common, uh, uh, hairstyle and for people with natural curly kinky coily textures. So go into text to image, type in black woman with Bantu knots. And it immediately tells me that what I typed could produce potentially harmful images. And I was like, what? Potentially harmful images. Um, and this is part of, this is a good example of, you know, I, I'll, some, I'll say I'm a DEI expert, but I'm always learning, right? So I did a, a search, went down a rabbit hole, discovered that Bantu was a derogatory term in South Africa for quite some time, not so much now. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I guess that's why it was blocked. So I then moved into another section of said design tool, and I looked at their they're images. They're just the stock images. And I searched for the same exact term. And it fed me back a bunch of random images of women, a few black women. None of them were wearing the hairstyle that I was looking for. And it also showed me about five nooses. Again. The fuck? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it did what? Yes. There were literal ropes tied as nooses. Um, there were also images of, of women's wrists and ankles tied with rope and i'm just like this is what we're talking about when we when we say you need representation you need people that can help you test your product to examine if what's being fed to your product actually makes sense and is not offensive and harmful like my mind is blown so that is it because you used the word not like is that where it was going like i i'm trying to trying to give it like the most empathetic 
interpretation of why it would have done that but that holy shit you must have been like throwing your computer oh yeah yeah so it's a wonder i still have a a computer at my desk (laughs) i was like what is this (laughs) um yeah but it, it, it was just a really not a good example but it was a practical example of why we have to have more conversations as it relates to DEI and product. Um, I do recall um, one of the issues with Google Images for a long time was as it relates to sports. Um, So if you search for a baseball team, you would pretty much see all men, for example. Um, And I think they've taken some steps to make sure that the images are feeding back a diverse mix, regardless of what you search for. Yeah. Um, So it's improved. So there was a famous case study with Google um, in 2015, where it's it's Photos app, which if you know anything about Google Photos, it's actually pretty decent about trying to like scan the photos so you can search with text through your own photos. Mm-hmm. Um, but it actually apl- it, it applied the label to a black couple gorillas. Fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> this was I don't 2015. Know if will see my face, but my face. I know. Just, I I missed that, and I'm so glad I did. <laughs> like, yeah, it was a while back, um, but um, but like this. My point is like AI in terms of interpreting dark skin, in terms of interpreting like you oh, think yeah. about where these things are built from, right? Yeah. Like in terms of the data sets that are fed into it. If there's a reason why it, you know, interprets white people much easier than interprets literally any other skin color, because that's mm-hmm. mainly the information source that's being fed. Yeah, and so there's there's a lot that needs to be applied in terms of this kind of um, uh, strategic thinking at the beginning of a product development process, Mm -hmm. not at the end. And I think this is where one of the like the most famous kind of like principles um, of product development is minimum viable product, right? Like where we really need to redefine Mm -hmm. what minimum viable product means Mm -hmm. because (laughs) <laughs> having a racist product is not minimally viable right. like we just need to we need to build in a lot more of those kinds of th- those kinds of protections a lot more accessibility features like mm-hmm. people are still on threads complaining about how inaccessible it is with some like really basic shit just like alt text with photos you know right. like things that don't seem like it would be that complicated to include um so like we we need to expand the definition of viable is all yes, i'm saying absolutely um this makes me think of um well there were several uh, reports that came out about like the automatic soap dispensers that couldn't sense darker skin um, <laughs> I didn't see that's that. been a thing for i think since gosh, 2017 i remember hearing about this um, and then I've also seen some people on TikTok like, see, it doesn't work. Um, see, so it's not just digital products. It's no. all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, it's across the board. Um, I just had to humor myself as an aside um, as you were talking about Google, because I remember they had this issue with sports specifically where you would go search for a specific type of player and it would pretty much just be male dominated. So I just searched for a baseball player and... Um, not a woman or non-binary person in sight, not a, uh, a, a paraplegic person in sight, nothing. This is pretty much just all male professional baseball players. And yeah. I'm still scrolling and that's all I see. So not surprising. I mean, again, what are the data sets trained on, right? Exactly. Like this is where in the product development process, we have to be smarter 
than we have been as society or else we just were catching up with things that we have like thought about a lot more critically in terms of like the bigger media environment right if we train our ai on inequity it's going to reproduce inequity yeah. right it's it's I perpetuating mean, it. it it it's yes, ridiculous exactly. So we, it seems like we've made a pretty strong case for it being not just about hiring or talent. Like yes. there's a lot of, <laughs> so I mean, just kind of switching into thinking about what, what is the future of DEI? One of the things I want to ask you about is, mm -hmm. so all these chief, chief blank officers, I know we've talked about in the past, mm -hmm. chief digital officer, chief diversity officer, like, sure. In theory, again, these are transformational roles meant to bring the organization along to being more competent about a subject matter, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Is a chief diversity officer then meant to create such like um, competency around these issues within the org that it becomes prevalent? Everyone is trained up. It is, um, you know, again, everyone has the kind of tools they can bring to their particular job with that lens. Right. And then not have that center of excellence anymore it's just now kind of an understood capability within the whole org like is that the end goal in your mind is like everyone is a dei expert so that one person doesn't have to be do you get what i'm saying yeah um i i don't know if i'd use the term expert but i would like to see we're always saying dei is everyone's job everyone's job everyone's job right we repeat that over and over and yet we don't see it and ideally yes i think that still should be an end goal I always tell my clients when I'm working with them, I am trying to work myself out of a job. I don't right. want to be here every single step of the way holding your hand. I want to educate you as I'm helping and, and also serving as a thought partner to help you think about how to incorporate or just think about DEI whenever you're doing insert whatever it is that you do. So it's not this afterthought as you were saying but it's thought of early on it's and throughout all stages of your your work cycle um and then periodically as we go along you know every now and then you might pop over and say hey what do you think about this or what have you seen in other workplaces or industries and we have yeah. those conversations but you are getting to a place where you feel comfortable so um i think i, I think there still should be some sort of center of excellence if you will so people have that resource to go back to but on a day-to-day -day basis, we, the, the goal is to get people educated, uh, equipped with the language they need to have these conversations and comfortable. And perhaps yeah. you're, you'll never be comfortable, but you'll at least feel confident enough to have these conversations and be thinking about DE&I. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's distinctly different, I think, than some of the other transformational roles. Like I use Chief Digital Officer as a, an example. Mm -hmm. and, and that was a role that I, some, some orgs still have, obviously, but I think it was mostly meant to be helping orgs transition to be more technologically capable, more, um, you know, faster, more data equipped. And I think it's starting to fall out of fashion a little bit as mm -hmm. there's been this kind of business cycle where now we have mostly people who are digitally capable who kind of understand a little bit more about how to use that where it's yeah. it's not seen as like a separate kind of um center of excellence usually it's usually more ingrained mm -hmm. even if you know not everyone has the same level of competency obviously but like the understanding is it's supposed to be we're all supposed to be technologically enabled now right right but i think the distinct difference to your point about there still needing to be a center of excellence is that our thinking about diversity equity and inclusion I think is is constantly evolving. Yes. So like forward thinking, 
we are learning new ways about how we are not inclusive mm-hmm. all the time. Yes. And backward looking, we're trying to unpack and deconstruct hundreds of years of structural inequity, yes. right? Exactly. <laughs> so I feel like that model where you do have people who are subject matter experts who are like looking at the marketplace, trying to learn on behalf of the organization so that we can keep the organization thinking mm-hmm. on its feet on this issue. But having an expectation of everyone being trained up in this, having a baseline level of competency, um, to your point about like process and structure being like thought through also makes sense. So it is both, you know, there is a center of excellence, but it's also everyone's job. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I just, I want to reinforce the part about like education because, you know, historically as i mentioned early on a lot of dei education has not been very effective um but to your your point just now you know dei is constantly evolving and how we're thinking about it and so there's always a need to align people on what we're talking about how are we defining dei within our org what does it mean within the context of our organization um and some leaders don't even know and so I think that is right. such a, a important starting point is to simply even understand, like, well, what are we talking about? If you go ask, uh, I don't know how many leaders, like, let's say you go ask 10 leaders to define DEI. How many of them do you think are going to like immediately be like, oh, yeah, diversity means this. Equity means this. Inclusion means that. Or are they going to be, oh, mm, uh, me, mm, uh, give me a moment. <laughs> That's usually what yeah. I get. <laughs> well, do you think that people are afraid to to un- like admit that they don't know, like especially at the more senior levels. Yeah. I feel like you are always a little fearful about admitting ignorance. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, and in this area, like do you think that there there's some of that fear driven? Like, yeah, totally, we we do that. Yeah, I understand that. You know what I mean? Like just because they're, I don't know, afraid of getting canceled or some bullshit. Yeah, I think it's that. I think um don't get me wrong. There are some leaders who are very honest and they're like, no, I don't fully understand this. Um, I'm willing to learn. Let's get started. Very few and far in between these days, but I feel like I'm starting to see a little bit more of that. But yes, I think there are people that are afraid to admit what they don't know. I also think that there are people who just don't give a shit or they're, you know, doing the bare minimum because they are tired of hearing their people talk about and ask about DEI. And so they will say, yeah, yeah, I got it. I get it. And then, yeah, they can go do it. I'll support that. And they don't have any sort of leadership engagement. Mm. They're not involved in the process. They're like, oh, just just have the ERGs go do it. The DEI committee can go do it. They don't show up. Or they start off strong. And then slowly we see them fade away and we barely see them anymore. Yeah, that's very common. Very, very common. This is harder and it's taking longer than we thought it would. Yeah. Or I've they just other things to they do. don't see the importance yeah. of it because they're like, well, I have to go meet with this person and I need to go do this and this and this. And but you want me to sit down and think about people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. Yes, <laughs> we do that. <laughs> like, OK, just to wrap up on this kind of like uh, section where, you know, you're kind of giving advice to, to leaders. What other things do you want to just like give us a list of like if you had a priority list of I'm going to go to an org and here's the things I would love to see mm-hmm. in like in general, in most orgs, mm-hmm. what would that list be? It would be what kinds of things you mentioned ERGs is one. We've talked about training, like yeah. just what's on the menu for you? Like an ideal org that is sort of. I hate to say checking all the boxes, but doing on the right ter- on the right path. Yeah, towards... I mean, obviously, a lot of it's going to be industry specific, you know, yeah. like there's hard to that, but like 
in general, when you approach an org and you're like, is this org doing it well? What kinds of things are you looking for? Yeah. Um, I always start with people and leadership. Mm. So how is... Is leadership le- itself diverse? Is, is leadership itself diverse? Uh, is there a diversity within this organization? So all of your people. Um, and I know people hear diversity and think of just race and ethnicity, usually by default, or gender. Um, but going beyond that, is there diversity? Is there diversity in where people are located in, uh, as it relates to neurodiversity, ability, disability, all sorts of things. Age, which is a big one that we've been having a lot of conversations around recently uh, yes. because of all the generations. Underappreciated part of inclusion for yes, sure. Yes, definitely. Um, and then going into leadership, how have they supported DEI efforts um, and how comfortable are they having conversations? Um, a lot of my initial conversations when I am speaking to potential clients is usually with someone that is on the existing DEI team or that is part of people or HR. One of the questions that I'll ask, I'll often ask is for them to tell me about the diversity in the demographics of the people within the organization. Ah, a couple things I look Asking for. Asking for the receipts right away. Yeah. Love it. So <laughs> I always, I'm, I look for, do they know it off the top of their head? Do they have to dig for it? Do they have to say, oh, I got to get back to you on that? Do they hesitate? Do they go, you know, well, we have, we've gotten better. If they start that way, I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> right. So um, I also look at the body language and if their demeanor changes, are they confident Ooh. when they tell me about the demographics or are they like, oh, well, we've tried and, you know, like, you know, our, our CEO really cares about this. So, you know, that's we what were, but we're based in Florida and we're not allowed to track that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So you oh. have to, all of that is very telling to me um, in terms of where people are. So a lot of assessment on people, their confidence, their language. Um, from there, I like to start to look at systems and processes. So if you lack diversity, why? Um, I'm also curious to know mm. why they want to work on this now. What happened? Did something happen? Usually something happened and this is reactionary more often than not. <laughs> um, so those are important things. Um, and so ideally, they have an equitable hiring process. Ideally, they have equitable promotional processes. Um, I also want to know what what's the psychological safety situation like? If I sit in on a meeting as a fly on the wall, are people comfortable sharing ideas? Is there mutual respect? Um, do I notice that certain people are dominating airtime? If so, is it the leader or is it just someone who's super extroverted? Because, you know, extroverts always lead in the workplace historically. Yeah. Um, so those are all the things I'm looking out for as well. You know, we can tap into other things like pay equity and things like that. Um, if someone's doing things well, then they have a pretty good mix of diversity uh, in terms of their team members, they have leaders who are openly talking about DEI. Perhaps they've even added time to provide updates during their their standups or company wide meetings. Um, there's so many things. ERGs, yes, are one of them, but I've done a little less ERG work because I find that a lot of times the people that are in ERGs are and this is historically the case, They're, they belong to marginalized groups and identities. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them coming into the ERGs are simply just looking for a safe space. Organizations and leaders, on the other hand, are often looking at ERGs as advisors. Can you tell us what your people want? <laughs> what do your folks think? What do they want? What do they need from us? How can we recruit Their air more? cover. Right? Right? Um, 
that's kind of why I want to, we were talking offline about this. I kind of wanted to get your opinion about ERGs because mm-hmm. I've seen them used like that too, where it's mm-hmm. like, what do you mean we don't include XYZ marginalized group? Yeah. Here they are right here. Yeah. They have their own space. Yeah, yeah, they have their own space where they're complaining about what shit your organization <laughs> is about this topic. Right. And we've seen an evolution, right? So um, back in the day, we started off with um, affinity groups. So they were designed right, to yes. just be sort of safe spaces. People come together, shared identity, shared interests. We just chop it up. We talk about whatever. There's no pressure or requirements or goals necessarily. We might set some, but not necessarily. Then the next uh, phase has been like ERG, but also BRG, business resource groups. So what's it, the difference? Th- to me, they're, they're very close and similar. I find that business resource groups typically lean more heavily into setting specific goals. So they are focused oh, interesting. directly on we are tied to the business strategy. All right, we need to recruit, uh, you know, we're aiming to recruit 10% more uh, people who identify as part of the LGBTQIA community. We're using this business resource resource group to help us do that. ERGs are sort of the balance. We have some goals, but we're also that safe space where sometimes we're just going to have like casual fun hangouts, but then other times we're going to be working on our goals. So that's how I look at the three of those. But the business, just to clarify, employee resource group, if they have goals, are about helping the org help them. Does that make sense? It depends. It depends, right? So employee resource groups, sometimes their goals are going to be, they can touch a lot of areas. It can be to support people that are already in the org. It can be also helping with recruiting. It could be um, partnering with the community or giving back to the community in some way, meaning the outside community. If you have a physical office, maybe it's, you know, if you're based in Oakland, you're helping the Oakland community or whatever it may be. Um, and so those, those goals are similar to business resource goals, right? So it could be internal right. targeting this specific group. It could be external. But business resource groups, again, okay. tend to lean more heavily on achieving those specific goals and less of the here's a safe space affinity group deal. Right. Yeah. So. I was trying to figure out if, if business resource groups in your um, experience have been more outwardly about like trying to achieve business goals versus like make the business itself more inclusive, if that makes sense. Both. So one of the goals would be to make the business more inclusive. Right. Got it. As one of the Okay, well, that's goals. good. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, we just adding to the alphabet soup, right? Mm-hmm. Like we got we ERGs, we got BRGs, we just like making it up, which I feel like we can't not end this with asking like, what's the right acronym? We've been, we, okay, we've been using, we should just say, we've been using DEI this whole time, Yeah. which is probably the most you know, mainly used one, yeah. right? I would say. Yes. Although I have seen people reorg DEI to put equity first. So EDI. I-E-D. I've seen people add B at the end, mm-hmm. belonging. Mm-hmm. Um, I just tell me what what are we doing? Like what are like is it um not, I've used this mix this up for us. Yeah, I've used DEI for some time now and it's what I'm I'm sticking beside it. I, I don't feel the need to keep reinventing <laughs> the wheel. I, to me, the work is more important. Um, I've been in situations where we've spent months just trying to decide on what to call the specific team. <laughs> and oh my God. I can't tell you how frustrating that was. And at the end of the day, it, 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 it caused a lot of confusion because people had already been so 
inclined to use DE&I or DEI. Sometimes people like to add the, the and just before the I. Yep. Um, again, to me, I, I'm sticking with DE&I because I think it encompasses everything that we're doing. I know people like to add the B. To me, belonging is part of the inclusion. And um, I've also been having a lot more conversations this year specifically about how some people actually don't want to belong in their workplaces. Um, oh, that's fascinating. That's a whole it, other podcast. Yeah, it really is. It really <laughs> is. But this idea that, you know, humans naturally want to belong to some sort of community or space or environment, right? But that doesn't necessarily have to be at work. A workplace, right? right? Especially oh, for a lot of marginalized folks, that just doesn't work. So again, I say all that to say that the belonging piece to me kind of goes hand in hand with inclusion. So there's really no need to add it on. Um, Adriel's POV. Yeah, that's endorsed. that's my humblest of humble <laughs> opinions. I'm sticking to DEI. That's what I'm calling it. I, it, I'd rather just, just do the work. It's just fascinating to me because I don't feel like we do this in other areas of business. No. But for some reason, like know. there's such an emotional component. And I totally get like this is heavy stuff mm-hmm. that like debating the terminology and how do we talk about it and is the language we're even using, including is the mm-hmm. right acronym. It kind of reminds me of how LGB- LGBTQ became like LGBT, well, it started out LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBT, oh God, it's like a tongue twister, LGBTQIA+, like we just kind of like keep adding. Yeah, oh God, it's so confusing. And I don't don't know that it necessarily like the the constant defining and redefining actually helps the cause that much. I mean, this is like, now we're getting into the politics of it and it's messy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But my point is like, we don't do this for the marketing department. (laughs) <laughs> right like no. i would love to see us call some call it something other than marketing it hasn't been marketing like we've thought about it 50 years ago when that term was coined right. in a really long time right but we kind of just in other areas of business just operate around the terms that exist mm-hmm. do you know what i mean mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to constantly redefine them right you know i i my take is that it's easier for people to keep having conversations um i call it shuffling papers um <laughs> to make it look like you're busy, right? We can keep renaming this and talking and debating uh, the name, but are we actually doing it's the work? It's easier that... to do that than it is doing the work. Exactly. Oh, that's an interesting cue. Exactly. Adriel's POV endorsed. Yeah. Yep. We can say a lot of controversial things at the end of this uh, <laughs> episode. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that I don't um, already say on uh, LinkedIn and my yeah. YouTube channel. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. Oh, what is your YouTube channel? This is a great time. We should shout this out. Oh, yeah. This is, a, this is a preview for that, I feel like. Yeah, I, I'm super meta. I hate to use that term because of Facebook. But, <laughs> I know, meta ruined it. Right? Um, but I'm uh, at Adriel Parker across the board. So on YouTube, Boom. LinkedIn, everything, you can find me. Um, I have my series DEI in five, which is expanded past five minutes. But it is what it is. There's a lot to talk about these days. So <laughs> I mean, we just spent an hour talking about it. And we yeah. like barely scratched the surface. Exactly. So totally. Exactly. And I love that you got Adriel Parker across the board. I've got Caleb Gardner almost yeah. across the board. The okay. one place is it where I did was not able to get Caleb Gardner is because I was too late getting to TikTok. Oh. I like rolled my eyes at TikTok way too long. Oh no. And now I'm like Caleb Gar like my last name I think has no vowels or something. Like oh, it's, it's, goodness. Like, <laughs> it's like a bastardized <laughs> version of it. Uh. Anyway, um so uh, let's just end this with where's this going? Like uh, we we're under it's under attack. We mm-hmm. haven't been doing this perfectly. Some orgs are doing it better than others. Sure. We're hoping that people are still going to resource against it, still, you know, uh, commit to it. But mm-hmm. what do you see as the future of DEI 
period. I was like trying to stop the acronym there. <laughs> um, I think uh, what I hope is that people start to pre- place more emphasis on examining the systems and processes that have been uh, upholding inequity for folks. Um, we've spent so much time, like I said, on awareness, on individual behavior, but not enough on um really looking at our systems and taking into consideration how it's impacting our workplace culture. Um, And so that is my hope. That is where I really want people to spend their time, where I'd I'd like to see our focus shift to. DEI is not dead. It is not dying. It is just uh, going through a phase. And this is not anything that's new. It, 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 It cycles through every so many years. Um, things ebb and flow. And as I mentioned before, you know, the the turnover with chief diversity officer roles is not uncommon. It's something that we've seen happen on and off for, for quite some time. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to get some pushback, especially as we go into this uh, election season. I don't think the anti-DEI sentiments are going anywhere, but DEI itself is not going anywhere. As long as we have people Working in organizations, we're going to have DEI. Will the name change? Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't want to be involved in the name change. I don't really give a shit about it. I just want to do the actual work <laughs> that is impacting people and creating better workplaces and experiences for folks. Um, as long as this is the way that we have to thrive and make a living, I think people should not have to suffer or um, deal with disrespect or inequity, whether that's pay participation, decision-making, whatever it is. Um, so, yeah. Love it. That's yeah. gonna. That's your next LinkedIn post. Drop bike. With the future, future <laughs> DI. Yes. DI is yeah. not dead. It's, it's just, it keeps going. Yeah. Can I ask one cool. question that came up that's really interesting for me? Of just course. in terms of the future of the CDO role specifically? Mm-hmm. First of all, we just talked about like D, E, and I, and it's fascinating to me that it's still chief diversity officer, not mm. chief inclusion or anything like that officer, yeah. which to me would be probably better. But yeah. again, just terminology problem. <laughs> but I've like, seen have you seen any? Too. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But that's hard because then it's CEO. <laughs> that's yeah. probably one of the reasons why, why it hasn't gone that direction as much. Anyway, but um i've seen a lot of like fractional c-suite roles pop up have you seen this where it's like fractional cmo fractional coo this like word for that basically means like part-time oh yeah that's nothing new that's not it's new. not we just no. now people are branding themselves basically no like when this. i started in dei i was in a hybrid role that's what they call it especially in tech space you're in a hybrid role <laughs> um but have you seen anyone do that with the with the cdo role like with they like we wanted yeah. to Maybe we don't have enough bandwidth to bring on a full C-suite person, but we mm-hmm. want them to be a senior leadership person yep. who is part-time. And my other question is, because since you have a, a good pulse on the DEI, like hiring market, mm-hmm. have you seen anyone trying to brand themselves as that, like a fractional CDO? Um, so yes, I've seen a lot of um, hybrid roles. Um, typically, what you see is a CDO, HR slash people officer mm. role. Makes sense. Uh, in one. And so that is, that's been the case for many years now. That's nothing new. Um, Although that does embed it deeply within HR, like we said. Exactly, exactly. And it is very, very difficult. As I mentioned before, two different skill sets. So it's very difficult right. for someone to 
um, effectively focus on HR and DEI. And typically what we see is HR gets prioritized um, because it's directly tied to labor laws and all that good Mm -hmm. stuff. And then DEI is still just sort of an add-on and like, oh, if I have time for that. Um, it's a, it, oh my god it's the same problem we were just talking about with ESG and CSR and DEI all being thrown <laughs> in it's like right. these are different skill sets exactly exactly um, as far as people marketing themselves with a hybrid title like that not so much I mean I certainly see a lot of HR leaders who also are DEI advocates and dabble in DEI they have baked in DEI into their role in some way um, or you know, 25% of their role is dedicated, supposed to be dedicated to DEI. Sure. Um, but I don't see anyone like, yes, I am a fractional DEI practitioner. I haven't <laughs> seen that. <laughs> I wonder if that's because they feel like having HR skills is like more competitive. I don't, or like more likely to be hired for that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I think there's more job security. Um, if you right, are a people, exactly. chief people officer, CHRO. Which is sad. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I would love to say, I mean, if I was a small, if I, I am a small company, but <laughs> we don't like, my point is, if you were looking for like a senior level chief digital, chief, uh, see, already problems, it's not a chief digital officer, it's a chief diversity officer. Yes. If you're looking for a senior level role and you wanted someone to come in and help real, really lead that. Mm-hmm. Um. Like I could, I could see that being appealing, you know, where it's like for the same reason why a fractional CMO or a fractional CO or any of these other f- kind of fractional C-suite level jobs, it's like we want to signal that we've got someone who knows what they're doing, that has experience, you know, we're not big enough necessarily to have a, this person a full-time role or we're yeah. not like for whatever reason, our industry, you know, some industries you don't need a full-time marketing person, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that just interesting to think about from my perspective about how you brand yourself there definitely definitely i i think you know it, it's possible i guess but again having done these hybrid <laughs> roles it's just it's not it it's, it's a lot and there's a lot of context switching i mean there's a lot just think about all the stuff we just covered in terms of what dei encompasses beyond again recruiting there's so yeah. many aspects and so to have to do that and then also hop back over and stick to a lot of labor laws which are very antiquated and we didn't even get into that they've got all kind of inequity issues baked into them if you ask me yeah 100 percent. then it's it's tough so yeah yeah Ugh. it's tough definitely yeah um all right well can you give us in in true leadership fashion <laughs> one good news thing about dei to end on like what's what's a positive thing it's been a lot of bullshit this year about DEI. Right. What's, a, what's a positive thing we can end on in terms of where DEI is going? Um, oh, there was, a, there was a report that I saw yesterday that said about 80% of organizations still have some sort of DEI plan. So that's good news. Um, that is good news. That's, yeah. that's more than I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. And I think the survey was based on uh, on organizational leaders. So that was even more telling. I'm like, wow, even the leaders are aware of their <laughs> DEI efforts because I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a, a organization or a company and the leaders ha- are clueless about what's going on with DEI, which is not good. Don't yeah. be that leader. Um but yeah, 80% of organizations and companies, roughly 80%, um, still have some sort of DEI plan or initiatives, I should say. If it's not a plan, they at least have some initiatives going. Yeah, there's something going something. on. There's something still stirring something. the pot. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. not all perfect. Yeah. But I think that's, that is encouraging, especially given all the attacks and you know layoffs we've heard about DEI. Like, 
people are still invested in it. Let's just hope they get invested in it to the point, to your point about it being complicated, like where they can really make some significant progress in it. Yeah, definitely. I think part of what's happening is also education. People are expanding their understanding of DEI. And I can't tell you how many people I've had sort of like introductory conversations or workshops with where we break down and define DEI and they're like, oh, that's part of DEI too. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And they're like, oh, (laughs) I've thought about that before. And I'm like, great. So now we can keep pushing forward. And so changing their own understanding and definition um, I think is also helping a lot of organizations yeah. too. So. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, this has been really great. Thank you for letting me pick your brain because yeah. I know you and I have these side conversations all the time <laughs> yes, yes. about this work. And I think it's really been informative for our listeners. And if you've not heard our weekly kind of debriefing about DEI in the news, I think this helps give a lot of context to a lot of those things. And hopefully if you work in DEI, um, you know, some of this stuff can be encouraging and informative. And we'd love to hear from our DEI practitioners in all kinds of roles about what you are seeing out there and, um, you know, give us some industry insight and tell us what you agreed with and didn't agree with. Let's have some dialogue around like how to do this work better Mm because I think it's really, really important and um, a lot of folks are just trying to figure it out. Absolutely. We have to stop working in silos and do more knowledge sharing. That's the only way to, to see some change. So. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for everyone. Look for part two. Should we belong in the workplace? (laughs) Very soon. Um, And we'll be back with regularly scheduled leadership programming next week where we'll talk about the news. But um, thanks, everyone, for hanging in there with us. And we'll, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Leadership. Our producer is Dave Sandell. Think about starting your own podcast? Connect with him at davesandell.com. You can find more about Adrielle and her diversity, equity, and inclusion work at adrielleparker.com. You can also subscribe to her YouTube channel at youtube.com slash adrielleparker for more candid discussions on DEI and for more insight on inclusive leadership. You can find more information about me, Caleb Gardner, and my work and hire me to speak on change leadership at calebgardner.com or 18coffees.com. And you can find my book, No Point B, Rules for Leading Change in the New Hyperconnected Radically Conscious Economy, wherever books are sold.